Hello and welcome to episode 210 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane, here in Denver, Colorado, and with me on the line from Chicago, Illinois, it's the one and only godfather, Dave Harbarger. It's me. I'm back on Hardwire. I hope I sound that much better now that I'm on Ethernet, baby. I'm coming to you. Dave, how's that basement? Uh, you know, it's not, not <laughs> as done as I'd like it to be, but... It's enough that I can set up a folding table and use Ethernet again. Do you have Ethernet jacks or you just like have wired, like just, just wires throughout the basement? I wired this like a library in 1998. Perfect. Ethernet jacks every 10 feet. You got, it's a 10 base T. 10 base T. Yep. Got that speed. Well, we're going to do some LAN parties here. You know, we're doing <laughs> yes. Starcraft. You guys are invited. So yeah. I miss LAN parties in my friend's basement in like 99, yep. 2000 era. But um, Devin. You ever been to a LAN party? Ah, uh, does DreamHack count? There was a LAN party at DreamHack Dallas, right? Or we, sure. there might have been one in Atlanta too. Counts. Definitely was. So we do. We have uh, we have Devin O'Donnell, aka Doomwake. Welcome to the show, first time guest, well known streamer, well known player. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to be here. You know, like I was telling was telling you guys in the, the the beginning, I listen to the I was basically listening every single week, and uh, it's really good entertainment. So hoping I can. Uh, I'm not going to be as funny as you guys, but we'll I'll do my best. <laughs> you can bring some information to our infotainment, right? And let's be honest, none of us are as funny as Stan. So yeah, it is what it problem. is. While he's on vacation, <laughs> uh, true. removing his life, removing his life to a whole new place. So we'll be hearing from him soon. So. Devin, uh, Mr. Doom. So I feel like there's a lot going on for you lately. And I want to give anyone who doesn't know who you are, maybe they don't watch Twitch. They're not kind of, you know, they're not you know, lost in the sauce of, of magic content creation. What are you up to lately? What have you been doing? What are you making content about? Give us the whole nine yards. Well, uh, as you know, listeners may or may not know, I actually recently just quit my job to pursue streaming slash content creation full time. Uh, been doing that, you know, for about a couple of weeks now. It's it's really just been a long time coming, you know. When I um, but but right back around when COVID started, that was when I took the plunge first. Did that for about a year and a half, and then uh, income was a little tight, so I went back to work. I basically through the entire of last year, I you know did eight to five, and then streamed five to ten every single day, basically, and uh, that's not really sustainable. So. Um, but yeah, you know, the stream has been going great. Uh, a lot of support. I actually recently just did a 24 hour stream to celebrate the new set that came out, uh, played an absolute ton, you know, ton of brews over the, over those 24 hours. I'm sure we'll probably talk about some of them, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'm basically a full-time content creator and, uh, couldn't be happier. I love it. That's awesome to hear. So listeners, please check Devin's stream out. If you haven't seen it, go check out his YouTube. He's uploading videos daily or every other day. There's a lot of content up there. I noticed lately. Go check his stream out. Longtime player. We've been looking at his deck list for years, basically ever since the show started. So yeah. please go check him out. Consider throwing him a sub. You know, help this guy live his dream. Where can people find you, by the way? How do they spell your twitch.tv <laughs> slash? It's twitch.tv slash D00MWAKE. And it's the same on YouTube, Twitter. Uh, I don't have a Patreon yet, but I've been considering starting one. I've had a couple people ask me for like cyborg guides and things. So I might think of some tiers and eventually get a Patreon going. But right now it's just uh, Twitch and YouTube. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah, like Dave said, check it out. So in, on this week's show, though, this week's show, we're going to be getting ready for Pro Tour Phyrexia. It's this weekend coming up in Philadelphia. The constructed format, of course, is Pioneer. It's the first time Pioneer is going to be featured on such a high level of competition. 
We're going to dive in to check on the meta, look at the recent uh, Magic Online tournaments, might give us some clues on the kind of new decks that might be rearing their head up and some brews of Doomwakes and just all sorts of stuff that we are seeing, both established decks and new concepts, new cards that will likely have some kind of impact at the Pro Tour. And maybe if we have time, I don't know how that's going to happen. We might have some modern challenge breakdowns. There was like four different challenges this weekend, I think. And you know, if we have time for that, we'll get to it. But you know how we go. Including a showcase challenge or a challenge showcase or a, something to do with the mocks. I don't even know what they're called. So but they're just it's just an important one. That's what we know. <laughs> I look up what these are literally every time. It's like, OK, the, the showcase challenge, you have to have 40 <laughs> QPs. But before we get into all the Pioneer stuff, let's do some really brief housekeeping because we have a lot of content. We have a new patron. I think it's a returning patron in Shank R. We have no increased tiers and no new reviews. We haven't had reviews for a minute out there, y'all. So if you have some thoughts about the podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Maybe leave us a rating or a review. We appreciate those. Make us feel good about ourselves, maybe. Yeah, only po- only positive thoughts, please. Not just any <laughs> thoughts, just just positive ones. We want to keep those five stars rolling as long as we can. No, I want constructive criticism. I mean, I'll take criticism, but send, send that to our Gmail account instead. No, Apple doesn't need to know about the criticism. <laughs> they don't need to know about the criticism. Um, Devin. Shane. And Dave. Dave. <laughs> Co- you have a cough button. What do you mean? Like you, when you, you coughed a couple of times, you're hitting a button. Are you, are you muting yourself when you're coughing as well? Yeah. Is it actually being muted? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's good. It's great. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is amazing. I, I said, this is one of the first guests who's put notes into our notes document. I mean, Sky has helped out with that too, but an actual tournament breakdown Devin contributed. This ain't my first rodeo. Yeah. A, a, right. And then a cough button. Devin is ready <laughs> to go. See, I've got, I like slide my little audacity slider down to zero so I can like, you know, cough or something like that or move my microphone. That's, that's amateur hour. I just cough over whenever Shane's talking. I just cough. <laughs> And I and then I send a note to our editor about where he has to remove my coughs. <laughs> ah, Listen for cough. <laughs> okay, we've got a Patreon. Uh, Devin, I imagine we'll have one in the future. Patreon.com slash the dive down helps support us, help keeps uh, keep us going, gets you access to the Discord, and get some swag sent your way. We appreciate all you citizens of the Dive Down Nation out there. If you don't want to do the regular recurring payment thing, you can uh, help us out by buying some merch from our merch store, thedivedown.com slash store. Lots of cool stuff there. Dave, I saw one of your children in the Rhinos t-shirt that you yes. sent, that photo. That was really awesome. Very yes. cute. Yes. If you if there are kids out there who want Rhino shirts, you know, parents of, of young ones, send us an email. I can help you with it. We're not going to put that on the store, but it's not hard for us to make custom stuff. So, you know, for what it's worth, even kids look good in a picture of Stan, Dave, and Shane riding on Rhinos. <laughs> uh, you can always... If you use Mana Traders, use ManaTraders.com. Uh, That's where we have rented our cards for like four years. The Dive Down 10 gets you 10% off your first two months there. Barrister and Man, of course, we're probably, I think we're, we're back to the ad drops. We're not going to do it. We're not going to make Devin listen to it, but we'll probably have an ad drop at some point in this episode. But you can use code the Dive Down 2023 for 15% off your first order of shaving, grooming, all that soap, all that kind of good stuff. And then, of course, if you want to buy some paper cards, uh, Nerd Rage Gaming gives our listeners 8% off their order with the code DIVE8. DIVE8. So there's our housekeeping. It's done. Let's get in some content. We've got the Pioneer Pro Tour. On February 17th, the Pro Tour era is returning. We've got about 250 players entering the room, and they're all fully planning on winning the trophy at the end of the weekend. Devin, you're going to this, right? 
Uh, I will be attending, but I will not be participating. Oh, okay. You're not participating in the Pro Tour. Attending is good enough. Is it a dream hack? Is it like another dream hack event with the Pro Tour added, or is it somehow separate? As far as I'm aware, it's not a dream hack event. I think they're calling it a MagicCon. So it's, yeah, I think that's the official title of it. Okay. The dream hack was dope. You were, yeah, we, we were all in uh, Atlanta together. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really rad to have you know all the stuff going on around the Magic event. But I guess with the Pro Tour, you do want the Pro Tour to be the center focus. Yeah, I think that it probably makes sense for them to have, you know, when they're doing the Pro Tour to have it at the MagicCon because it's more focused on Magic. But I, I agree. The dream hacks have been to Dallas and Atlanta, and they were both incredible. Absolute blast. Yeah. yeah. I know there's a command zone, all that kind of stuff at this one. Um, so 250 players, it is a lot, a lot like the old Pro Tours, right? Like it's extremely close to the same structure. It's going to be it's table. It's all tabletop. It's mixed yep. limited and pioneer. In this case, we all know that it's rotating through other ones. You know, are you, what do you think just as like top level, are you excited that we're returning to this level of competition for the way that the highest end works, Devin? Is that not something you're thinking about as well or kind of what's your mindset on pro tours in general right now i absolutely love it you know uh, i've played three pro tours before they changed it to the championships and all that stuff you know it's something to aspire to back when you know when i when i first qualified when i when i qualified for my first pro tour it was an you know surreal experience i couldn't believe that it happened um just being able to like you know now obviously it's a little bit different they back then they you know they paid for my flight to go to uh, valencia and then, you know, a whole shebang there. But yeah, I think it's awesome. Uh, you know, as a content creator, I don't want to focus too, too much on the pro aspect because I, I do still want to put content first, but uh, I certainly wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be unhappy to participate in one of these. I mean, it sounds like us not focusing on pro tour aspirations. Although, you know, we do have Stanislav. Shane, you've finally given up on your pro tour aspirations. I'm so glad that you've come I mean, to terms. I was with going this for as, plat, but. As, as we all round into our mid forties, you finally given up on the dream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, if I could make an if I could make an RC, that'd be sweet. That'd be that's all I really sure. need. That would be fun. So if you've never seen a Pro Tour, you're in for a treat. I mean, you might not have been. You might have not seen one. Like they haven't been around since like 2018. Until the end of 2018, they're held like four times a year. These locations spanning the globe. Like Devin said, you could be flown off to Valencia to compete with like 300, 400 other players, always a split of like limited and constructed. You know, sometimes we got things like block constructed or thankfully for us, modern. And then they did the whole like mythic championship change in 2019. Stuff got a little bit weird. Like some stuff was on arena. There was no limited. Uh, Then they switched it again to the players tour and that got a little bit weird. And then of course that was right when COVID happened. And so everything was online. Stuff happened that people were like not really understanding, not really caring that much about. Yeah. So the one thing that I will say about the size of the event is they used to be about 400 to 450. So we're going to see a little bit of weird things in terms of records that make top eight. Typically in the past, it was about X and four, maybe X three and one. But I think you might see maybe see some X and five sneak in there too. Into the top eight? I think so. Wow. Given the size of the event. Someone at 10 and five. I think it might still be 15 rounds. Okay. As far as I'm aware. So that's cool to know. Yeah, that'll be wild. Yeah, that will be an interesting consideration. I mean, it's it's funny. Like, I see that as kind of a good thing, potentially, because I remember it being, like, at the RCs, people were a little bit miffed where it's like, and you're gonna you basically like can't lose twice almost, you know what I mean? Because of the, the number of people and number of rounds. So I think it's good, especially at the, the pro tour size events where it's like give people some latitude. They're playing against other amazing players and so yeah, sometimes you can spike the event and go X one, but more than likely you're gonna lose more than once. 
Uh, and so early 2022 Pro Tour got announced. It's not the same as before, like we've been hinting at, but it's close enough. And we get to engage with it as casual and hardcore spikes. We get the RCQs, we get the RC events, give us something to aspire to. And these new PTs are happening three times a year. Um, where people qualify out of the RCs, Magic Online, Arena events, and they get up to you know 500k in prizes, invites the World Championships and things like that, and then of course the title of Pro Tour winner, and we're going to have our first Pro Tour winner in over four years after this event, and that's pretty awesome. Our formats are Phyrexia All Be One Draft and Pioneer Constructed. Like I said earlier, it's the first time Pioneer is featured as a Pro Tour format many years after it was announced like we kind of expected that we would see pioneer at pro tours but with you know covid and the shift of the whole structure we just never had pioneer on arena they weren't playing magic online events they weren't doing like paper on camera or anything like that yeah and so just to kind of talk a little bit about what happens when these types of formats end up in a pro tour right if we remember what used to happen with modern sometimes when you would take a team like you know, the Pantheon Ultimate Guard. or Team Ultimate Guard or whatever, where they're like, okay, we're all going to get together in a house. We're all going to work on decks in this format that maybe has so many decks in it. People haven't really fully understood the dynamics and we're going to get this brain trust together and we're going to break the format. And it happened sometimes with modern. Devin, do you think that there's a chance? First off, have you heard about any of these teams kind of or similar teams getting together to to test for the event. Have you heard anything about that? I've seen some pictures of some kind of like players of old. I saw a team involving Reed Duke where there were eight or 10 people posted themselves on Twitter. They were playing together. I'm not sure everybody who is in that room. I think it was like Seth Manfield, Jim Davis, like a you know bunch of names. Yeah, I think Ellie Cassis was there, I think. But yeah. it, do you think there are a lot of teams out there or do you think that's more of an outlier now? And then also, do you think there's a chance someone is just going to break it? Um, as far as teams are concerned, I think the I think I remember seeing it, but the similar things that you guys saw with uh, I think it was like Jim Davis who tweeted a photo was I think it was like him, Martin Juza, Siggy, uh, Ely Cassis, maybe a couple other people. As far as other than that, I don't really, uh, you know, I'm not really up with some of those pro, some of the players in the pro tour. Like I, I'm close friends with Siggy, but that's about it. Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure in terms of like whose other teams. There's a couple of local players that are qualified who are teaming with some other players. As far as breaking it is concerned, I, you know, I don't want to, we're going to get a little bit deeper into it later, but this new set is, uh, it's a lot. This new set is crazy. There's, you know, tons and tons of stuff that, that I think is potential. And um, I would not be surprised if somebody broke it. Interesting. That's what we call a tease in the industry. Stay tuned for us to speculate about breaking it. All right. So what I think a good starting point is, is just kind of getting an established idea of what the metagame has looked like recently. And this is all going to be sort of before Phyrexia all will be won. Because we have Frank Karsten's article, his most recent metagame mentor article entitled, you know, 10 surprising pioneer decks that can win Pro Tour Phyrexia. So not only we talked about kind of the decks that he called out as having potential upgrades from uh, the you know one set, but we didn't get into the weeds on what he had been reporting has been going on with the metagame. And so I think this kind of gives us a good level set of where we were about two weeks ago. 
Yeah, this article is from February second, so it's a couple it's a couple weeks out of date by the end of this week. Who knows? I mean, there might be another article that comes out on Thursday, the same day that this podcast releases. We'll see, but I doubt that the overall meta will have changed that much, at least according to Frank's metrics, since they do take kind of a long, long like a long view of what's going on in each format that he does. So, why don't we dive into to what he? indicates is in the metagame right now and his weighted analysis, which is always interesting to see. So let's talk about it kind of in groups of threes. So there's three decks above 10% according to Frank's meta share analysis. And those are Monogreen Devotion at 12.3% on the way down a little bit in that meta share, Lotus Field Combo at 11.6% on the way up with the, that meta share, and then Rakdos Midrange at 10.8% on the Ooh. way down. 10.8. Yeah. That's the, one of the lowest numbers for both Monogreen and Rakdos that we've seen in a while, and clearly the highest number for Lotus Field in a long time. But what do we think about these three decks? I don't think we're too surprised that these are the top. So for me, it's like it's interesting to see like the double down arrow. I don't know if that's kind of like always being used where it's like, hey, this is extra down, but seeing Monogreen Devotion and Rakdos midrange take a hit. I mean, maybe that's, that's likely metagame factors at work, where maybe some some people are saying, I'm coming for the throne. But Lotus Field growing all the way up to 11.6 is the real surprise here. And that indicates that, you know, like we've been talking about, I think people are respecting both its power and understanding the deck more and being like, hey, I'm going to pilot this thing and let's just hope I have no bad matchups. But I'm curious, Devin, you're more in the weeds on Pioneer, and I'm sure you have played with and against these decks a number of times. Like, What's your perspective on the big three, I guess we could call them, unless you're including Mono White Humans later on in the list? Like, What's going on with these? So I think the biggest reason for the resurgence in Lotus Field combo has to do with the fact that if you look at, well, we haven't looked at four and five yet, but Azorius Control and Celestia Auras, those are both incredibly favorable matchups for Lotus Field. So as those go up in popularity, then there's going to be a lot yeah. more people playing Lotus Field. Also, I tend to believe that Lotus has a good Rakdos matchup. I think that's the general consensus. So if Rakdos picks up in popularity, then it's not, you know, it's not a surprise that Lotus Field is going up as well. The green versus Lotus matchup is very close. Depends on how many Besages Lotus Air has versus how many sideboard cards the green Devotion player has, how often they draw Karn. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest reason is that uptick in Azorius and Celestia and Ian Gruel as well at number six, which those are all unbelievable matchups for Lotus Field. Yeah, they're just not fast enough. Like Azorius, I mean, we'll just go four, five, six. Azorius Control at 9.2, Celestia Angels at 9.2, a uh, big, big riser there, of course, too. And then Gruel Vehicles at seven. So we have like kind of two mid-rangey, go-over-the-top creature decks, and then our control matchup, and what, none of them can just hang with the, the turn four potential of Lotus Field? Yeah, the, the the issue is they're not clocking fast enough. So Gruul, I think, specifically can because it has those Elf and a Stormseeker draws. Like, I play a lot of Gruul. It's a bad matchup, but you still can win if you just have Elf, Stormseeker, Chariot. Like, it's hard for them to race that. Um, but specifically Azorius Control, they're not, the, the most of the control decks are not playing a lot of specifically dedicated hate cards for Lotus Field. Field. You think, you know, Damping Sphere and, and along those lines, but because the Lotus, the Lotus deck has a bunch of like tutors and two for ones that and especially tutor for Thought Distortion post board, the control deck can't doesn't really have a good answer to that. So I think that's the biggest reason. Do you think they could? I mean, like, I'm, I'm, well, I'm sure we'll get into like these considerations later, but is Azorius control or like an Azorius base control deck? Is that the kind of thing that they can like, could they figure out ways that like they're not hamstringing themselves too badly? But if they're going to see Lotus Field as 10% of the meta, I'm sure they're going to try to be prepared, right? 
Yeah, I think for Azorius specifically, the biggest card, like if you're playing Azorius and you want to beat Lotus Field, the most important card I think is Narset's Reversal. That's one of the only cards that can actually get around Thought Distortion, and it's good at, you know, if you copy a Genesis or with the, what's the Assault Ultimatum? Emergent, I think, the Emergent Ultimatum. Yeah. Um, mm. You can copy that. There's plenty of stuff there, but I think that's probably the, the most important card, that and Narset. What do you think is contributing to the rise of Angels so significantly? So Angels specifically... Um, it's weird. I think a lot of people thought that it had a good Rakdos matchup, but uh, I've watched a little bit, couple of misplaced Ginger streams, and he seems, you know, the general consensus, I think, from the Rakdos players is that they're actually, in fact, favored against Angels. But I think part of it had to do with the resurgence of vehicles as well, because Angels is very good against vehicles. That I know that matchup is a nightmare. So that and, you know, I think the Monogreen Devotion matchup is close-ish. They, the Angels deck can race. They can play a lot of good sideboard cards, but mostly it's, I think, with the, uh, the small uptick and cruel vehicles. And Pioneer is just generally like a lot about creature combat, and creature combat is <laughs> not a lot that could beat 50 life, you know? Yeah, I'm sure I've heard that it stops mono white humans pretty darn convincingly as well. And so that's a deck I think a lot of people were considering one of the best decks in the format, if not the best. Yeah, I mean, post the Energy Championship series just six weeks or four weeks ago or so, most of the players in that field said that they thought that mono white was the best deck in, in Pioneer, and it's fallen way off since then. I guess maybe that is because of Selesnya getting bigger and some of the other things going on and it, but it is, but mono white is fast enough to beat Lotus though. Right? Like that's, that's the deal probably. Yeah. They have a fast enough goldfish and Thalia. So they have enough tools to, to beat them. I think. Yeah. That's, that's one of the interesting things about humans, which is next on our list, actually 5.8%. That's kind of one of the decks. I think we should take, you know, a minute or two to talk about because I feel like mono white humans has always been sort of lingering in like the tier two or tier three of representation of the format we always you know we, we don't see a, a ton of it but it always is performing really well and when we're looking at statistics from like melee and, and things like that what do you think it is about humans that makes it a particularly good or potentially dangerous choice for something like the pro tour like why is it always hovering maybe around six if you look at you know if you look at one through one through six uh, and just look at down the down the matchup. So you have Monogreen Devotion, which I think a lot of the white players maybe thought they were favored before, but um, is actually the matchup is a little bit closer. Lotus Field is slightly favorable, and then the next four are just Rakdos, Azorius, Celestia, Angels, and Grill Vehicles, which are all just disastrous matchups for Mono White. So it just I think it gotten to the point where it, I think it was decent against Phoenix before, but as Phoenix fell off, it kind of. You know what I mean? It's it's doesn't really have that many good matchups anymore. If you look at the the rest of the top of the metagame, it's interesting. We might as well talk. We'll we'll come back to number eight in a second. But speaking of Phoenix, Phoenix is all the way down here at number nine now. After being one of the most definitely in the top tier at the time of the RCs, do you think that that's all because of Selesny Angels coming to the top of the list, or what? What do you think is going on? And, and Lotus, Lotus Field, Field. Yeah. Lotus Field. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it definitely just can't hang with that. Yeah, that's definitely the biggest contributor to that is Phoenix is basically 0% against Lotus Field. Uh, we saw that matchup a couple of times at the RC. So as Lotus Field, you know, significantly increases up to almost 12%, then, you know, Phoenix has to go down with it because it just has no chance against it. RIP birds again. <laughs> I'm sure they'll, they'll be, be back, back someday. Some point. <laughs> yeah, someday. They do come back I mean, from the graveyard. Is, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Set and spike. Good job. Um, the so the other decks that are here in the top ten that we have we have Rakdos Sacrifice and then we have Obzon Grease Fang and then maybe we'll draw a line under those for a second. So Sacrifice is on the way up. 
this is another deck that sort of eludes me as to why it sort of bubbles between 12th place and 8th place in these meta <laughs> meta rankings. It's like occasionally it pops up and wins a challenge or something like that. It's it's always been a deck that's been decent in Pioneer for the most part. Um, what do you think is going on with this deck? Is this one to keep an eye on or is this just kind of relegated to tier 1.5 basically down here? I mean, it's a good deck. Uh, I think it has decent matchups against what some of what we're looking at here, specifically Rakdos Midrange, Grill Vehicles, Celestia Angels, Mono White Humans. The biggest issue with Sacrifice is the Mono Green matchup is pretty sketchy. Um, with access to Four Card and the Great Creator, being able to shut off Witches Oven uh, because Claim the Firstborn Witches Oven is part of your you know part of your best plan against them. So when they have card, it's pretty tough to win. But I think that's really it ends up being a metagame call. If you expect a lot of mono green, you probably don't want to put you want to avoid Rakdos sacrifice. But if you expect maybe more Rakdos, Gruul, Celestia, then it's a good choice. Yeah. And then finally, we have Grease Fang, the combo, the frustrating to play against combo deck that um, is continually threatening to break through via different enablers. Still just kind of here, probably staying here right now. Yeah, it kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes you'll see it do well in a challenge. I think what the way that I look at Grease Fang is it's either you either die on turn three or you do absolutely nothing. And it's just a lot of people don't like that type of variance. So, yeah, yeah, I think there's some sleepers on the rest of Frank's list here. So maybe we'll come back to them a, a little bit later. But what, what do we think about this looking like the established metagame? I feel like this is there's not really any new decks on this list as far as, but there are decks changing positions. But in a lot of ways, this is just pioneer of the last six or seven months. I think the thing that pokes out to me the most here is that we did have the ability for not an entirely new deck, but something like Selesnia Angels to so quickly creep up the ranks and become like a, a 9.2% of the you know competitive meta. I think does speak to the ability to people to, for people to still metagame in this in the pioneer environment, and that's even before we had Phyrexia all will be one. Uh, additionally, of course, we did see we we watched vehicles kind of go from oh this is an interesting thing that happened at like an RC to you know a top six deck, and so I think there's a lot of opportunities for things like this to happen. It's really funny with vehicles specifically, as you mentioned, we didn't really see much of it before the RC. It did well at the RC, and then it's just like it's all over the place. It's, you know that that was basically a deck yeah. that was spawned at the RC, very similar to Angels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's interesting. When you look at this list, you start to see the pillars of the format stand out just on card power, too. So we have our Nykthos deck. We have our Lotus Field deck. We have our Thoughtseize deck. We have our Blue-White Good Cards deck. We have our Coco deck. We have our you know our Sky Sovereign deck. We have our Thalia deck. You know, it just kind of goes down the list in, in that way. Um, so it feels like the it's not, there's not a huge amount of overlap between the cards that go into these decks. I feel like which is it's kind of nice. It's not like modern in the sense where, you know, modern is, you know, much maligned. You got to play a lot of Modern Horizons 2 cards, the the constellation of Ragavan decks. There's eight different Ragavan decks that you play that are different decks, but they all have Ragavan. This meta is pretty varied from, from deck to deck. But like you said, the thing that combines all of them is the format's kind of reliance on creature combat in many different ways and that's kind of the thing that sets the context for, for everything that goes on yeah i think if you look at maybe the top 10 or top 15 i think the only most common denominator between some of these decks is bone crusher giant but as you mentioned mm -hmm. because the format is so creature based that is one of the best possible cards you can have against the creature deck like it's just yeah. always going to be a two for one so. Yeah, and then the other card too, of course, is Fable that yeah. people uh, like to point out as well. That's in a lot of these. So those red kind of mid rangey cards are are all over the place here too. 
So my question when we look at this kind of is, okay, if this is the the high end, before we get into our sleepers, before we get into new cards from one, when you think about a Pro Tour, when we think about this version of a Pro Tour, do we think that this metagame is going to get more polarized in a room full of 250 people, or do we think it's going to be about the same? Because part of me wonders is, you know, the thing that used to happen with the old Pro Tour sometimes is it would be like, a hundred people show up with Splinter Twin, you know, and then you're kind of like, whoa, you know, in a normal tournament, that was like 10% of the meta in a pro tour, it was 25% of the meta. Do we think that can happen here? Because it, it did happen a little bit in the RCs where we were seeing a pretty diverse meta game. And then all of a sudden it was like Monogreen Devotion and Rakdos Midrange were like 20% of the RCs, right? W- what do you think? Do you think that's going to happen here or... Don't think we're going to have uh, PTL Drazi again. <laughs> I think, yeah. but I think mostly I, somebody asked me this on stream today. What would my prediction for top three? And I think I said 20% Rakdos, 10, 20% Rakdos, 10 to 15% Lotus and 10 to 15% Monogreen. And I think Rakdos, mm-hmm. I think Rakdos still will be the highest played deck. And I think you're the top three will still, will stay the same, but I think there'll just be some, some small shifts. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about this as we go through these challenges in the very near future, but do you think there's like a big opportunity for shakeups to happen as well? Like, I mean, I know like Dave was talking about consolidation, but I'm particularly interested in like, are people going to discover something not necessarily broken, but either big shifts to existing archetypes or perhaps even like a, a sleeper archetype that, you know, will p- potentially be something like 10% of the meta? Yeah, we kind of saw this a little bit with the challenge. There was a challenge right before one. That was won by uh, Xbox Greg, I actually a, a local friend of mine, Ben, and he won with Elves. And one of the things that we were talking about is there's been some upgrades to Elves. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, me and him both kind of talked about it. And we were like, yeah, we don't actually kind of like these new cards, <laughs> uh, which was I thought was kind of funny. But yeah, I mean, we've seen some innovations on some of these decks. Like we've seen Rakdos incorporating some lands, boats. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but I think for the most part, as far as the established decks are concerned, they're just getting some minor upgrades, maybe not too much in terms of the way of actually shifting the way their deck functions. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, it's it's going to be pretty much the what, what we see here, I think. All right. All right. So let's take a look at some challenges to talk about the minor upgrades that some of these decks are having. Let's start with the Saturday 211 challenge, since the uh, showcase challenge had some people that built off of the decks that they saw in the uh, in the two the 211 challenge. So, and of course, this one won by Derek misplaced Ginger on Rakdos midrange. Shocker, yeah, shocker. <laughs> I mean, the guy has just been playing the deck forever, playing it through all the times where people made fun of it, said it was a bad deck, believed it the whole time as it was coming together, and then has just shown people like as the sets have come out, as time has gone on really a lot of the way to me- to meta this deck to play this deck and just really stick with it do you think this speaks more to the quality of rakdos midrange or the quality of misplaced ginger or a little bit of each i would say a little bit of both yeah yeah i mean we know derek because derek's a major grinder you know back since the face-to-face you know era in canada and things like that so Nothing new in it. Like, there's no new cards in this particular deck. It would have been still a little bit early for new cards over this week. Not super early because people were definitely getting a hold of them. But you know, this is just your kind of standard. It's got three shieldred at the top end. It's got all the, all the cards that you would imagine in the creature suite. It does have a Liliana main. Forgetting about Black Cleave Cliffs, are we? Oh, <laughs> yes, that is a huge. I mean, how could you? Okay, <laughs> great point because I think that we pretty much said. When we were doing the spoiler episodes, we were kind of like, these cards are going to make a huge difference in Pioneer for a bunch of decks that can play them. How big of a of an upgrade is Blackleaf Cliffs just for Rakdos Midrange on its own, do you think? 
Uh, well, I, I was mostly just joking. Oh. <laughs> I think that the mana and I think the mana and Rakdos was already kind of fine. You'll see Ginger yeah. only played three copies, right? Um, and I think you could. The thing about the the Rakdos deck is it has a lot of ways to use its mana. So playing a bunch of copies is kind of awkward, especially if you have Shieldred on turn four or activate Den. So you don't want to play a ton, but I mean, it, it's a slight upgrade for sure. So, but that is, that is really the only new card in this particular list. Although we are running some other, you know, new interesting sideboard cards. We're running Ritual of Suit. That wasn't here at least a few months ago. It wasn't around. We're running Three Extinction Event. That goes up and down. We've got four Reckoner Bankbusters in the 75, two main, two sideboard. That card has taken a little while to get adopted as a four of in this deck, and not everybody still, everybody still doesn't play it in that quantity. Power Word Kill seems to be one of the removal uh, cards of choice right now, and that has bounced around as you kind of think about how to build out your removal suite beyond Dreadbore. And there's a Liliana main, which is one of the first times I've seen a Liliana in Rakdos in a minute. Um, surprisingly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was when when that card was spoiled, I was like, wow, it's it's gonna be a four of in Pioneer, and then it just is is not. So, but this is this is Rakdos, right? And congrats to Derek for winning. Certainly deserved it. Second place. We had Ari. What's Ari's last name? Ari Zax. Ari Zax. Yeah, Ari Zax. In in second place on Mono Green Devotion. Here's yeah. my question about this list. This list is the one that has Nico Bolas Dragon God as a single single copy, which is, harkens back to where Mono Green Devotion was, you know, six months ago, last summer, essentially, and doesn't really have too many. I mean, it has upgrades from over time from that time period, but the, that's still the most interesting thing to me is that we're back to this one and we're away from the Teferi, uh, the Teferi Infinite Combo. The Cauldron is not here in the sideboard. Oh no, there it is. There's Passion of the Cauldron. So, are we? How did Nico Bolas get back in this deck, and why do you think? So, I think there's two main big reasons to play Nico Bolas. The first one is one of the more common sideboard cards that we see nowadays is Pithing Needle. And most of the time, people will Pithing Needle name Karn the Great Creator. Well, Nicol Bolas does not happen to be a copy of Karn the Great Creator. So you can actually mm. still combo off if, you're, if your Karn gets needled. The second one is in the mirror match, you get uh, Stonebrain for Karn, and you still have a win condition with Nicol Bolas. Because you can actually activate, you can act, if they play a Karn and you have a Nicol Bolas, you just have access to cards again. So I think those are the, the two main reasons. Interesting. Great point. All right. In third place, we had uh, Lane five eight nine three on red green. This is a pretty. Oh man, I love this deck. This is a deck. This is a pretty interesting build of red green. And so, Devin, you were saying that you have played. You've been playing a lot of red green. Obviously, this is a different kind of build. Uh, but what what do you think about this deck? I saw this deck and I, I'm looking at it again, and I still don't really know what to think about it. So this is an Obosh deck. <laughs> Uh, which means that we can only play odds. So the biggest evens to play in the traditional Gruul decks are Obliterating Bolt and Asika's Chariot, to a lesser extent of Crow and War. So the, essentially the trade-offs is you're getting rid of those three cards and you're basically swapping Obliterating Bolt for Strangle, which is kind of a, a, a relatively even swap. You're swapping Chariot for Nissa Ascended Animist, and then you are yeah. cutting a Crow and War for additional threats like Garrick's Harbinger. I'd have to play a little bit with this deck because I'm not I'm not sold on this Nissan. I know that you guys were talking about it during spoiler season, but I'm, I don't know if I'm sold yet. Yeah, I feel like the game plan for this has to be more like ramp into a Nissa and sort of just buy time with like your blockers and things like that. And then you can sort of just build a giant army with your Ascended Animist and then just go, you know, overrun them with the ultimate or just, you know, 
chip in or block with your Phyrexian horror creature tokens. I like it, of course, but like I don't really know how this is going to play out. But I think that perhaps with the the game plan is sort of being like, hey, I'm going to ramp and then clog up the board and then go over the top. I'm going to use Domri for additional ramp mana. I can pick off dangerous creatures with the fight ability on Domri and then just go over the top with the, the Anthem effects. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Garrick's Harbinger is a pretty interesting one. It's actually main deck here, which is a card that, again, gets the dodge Dreadbore, Power Word Kill, Fatal Push, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, Nissa is essentially seven mana win the game if you just cast it for seven. Uh, there's not many people that can beat the immediate overrun. So, um, and there is some ramp here, you know, with the Dom raising the elves. So I, I could definitely see it. Fable too. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with this. If anyone tries to, you know, take up the reins of Gruul midrange with Obosh and keep running with Nissa. I did famously say that Obosh was going to be the next companion that people complained about in modern after, uh, after Yorian got banned and. Turns out it's Gigantha. Yeah, maybe, too late but for we'll that. Talk about that another time. <laughs> yeah, somehow it's Gigantha. All right, fourth place. Uh, Azorius Control from Ignotus 70, 70 or 97, the year I graduated from high school. Hopefully, that's not the year that this person was born. But <laughs> <laughs> it might the, be. Um, this is just an Azorius Control list. I There's not too much to say about this at this point, other than somehow when I play against Blue White, they always get me with their single sensor. That's it there in this list. But otherwise, this is a pretty stock list. There's not really too many new cards in here or anything like that. But this is what we will see in some quantity. And especially, you know, this is the type of deck control decks always get some kind of bump at PTs, I feel like. Like you'll see an extra 5% or so. So we might even see this up north of 10%, 12% of the meta when it comes mm-hmm. to the PT. One thing about this real quick is just the one sensor open deck list. If you if you know your opponent has one sensor and you get censored, it's got to be the worst <laughs> oh, man. in the world. I would just I'm yeah. out. Yeah, it's on you. Co- yeah. Constantly play around it. Yeah. Sensor's always a car- sensor buys so much tempo. It's just like, oh, what if they have a sensor? What am I gonna play? Am I gonna play into this? Make them have it, or just like you know, time walk myself. It's a little, it reminds me a little bit of when I talked to Michael Rapp about playing Shadow, and he was like, You got to play Team or Battle Rage. You got to play it, even if you only play it with one, just because it keeps him honest. Fifth place, Mono Red Aggro, Lord Beerus. This is more like it's the mid rangey one, right? Like, I mean, if it, yeah. if it stops at Torbin, is that mid range? I don't even know at this point. What would you call this, Devin? It's really hard to call this an aggro deck where there's only two Monastery Swift Spears. Yeah, that's my thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I How guess we that? could call it mid range. It's like Gruel without the green cards, maybe. Is that way it could be to put it? <laughs> The mana is really good. Mana is good. <laughs> I don't know. Mana. I don't hate this deck. Very I think mana. that there's something to be said about playing Goblin Chain Whirler when you know a lot of the decks have Lana Elves. So that's true. Shane, this is pretty much the deck that you day two'd with and at Grand Prix Phoenix all the way back in yeah, basically COVID, like right? Much of the same cards even at that point. You know what I mean? Like I think I had like one Hazaret, but yeah, Ferocidons, Torbrins, you know, like Lightning Strikes, all the classics. So. I think we're playing. We're still playing a wild slash over play with fire because we didn't have it at that point. But I mean, I wish I wish I had Kamana faces Kakazan at that point. That'd be dope. Right. What a this card! This is just a list of cards I love, though. All right, sixth place. This is an interesting list by Seventh Prophet. It is a Boros Yorian deck, but it has two red cards in it. One is Nahiri the Unforgiving, and the other one is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah. But other than that, it's running. Uh, the Eternal Wanderer as a four of. It's running Frexian Vindicator as a four of. It's running kind of good white cards other than that. Knight of the White Orchid, Charming Prince, Thraben Inspector, Elite Spellbinder, Spirited Companion, Skyclave Apparition, Ossification. 
as a removal spell of choice, which is interesting to see. You got 17 planes and four sacred foundries. Oh, you can only put that on a basic. Yeah, so you got 17 planes. Yeah. So you can make that happen. And then lay down arms, which can also help make that happen. What do you guys think about this deck? This is a blink deck, right? Which makes sense because we've got, we've, it's an ETB deck slash blink deck. So, uh, Etern- excuse me, Nahiri the Unforgiving allows you to rebuy ETB effects. Yorian, of course, if you ever get to Yorian in this deck, which you potentially will with all these creatures kind of disrupting your opponent and removing their spells with portable hole, ossification. One thing we didn't mention, I feel like during the entire spoiler season, is ossification hits planeswalkers. That's a big deal. Like we, I think we kind of looked at it as like, hey, this is just a chain to the rocks. That's a little bit more flexible. You don't have to have mountains. But even though it costs one more generic mana, getting a Planeswalker off the board can be a big deal. And then you can sort of reset that with your Yorian. Yeah, I mean, think about the card that people were playing for a while to get rid of Planeswalkers. Orzorius Control has one. It's Fateful Absence, which gives them a clue token instead. And this is just better than that in that sense. Yeah, and then with Yorian down the road, you can ossification something small early on. You get later later down the road, Yorian blanket. So yeah, you get the same thing but Chain of the Rocks too, with portable hall, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Kind of love it. I love this. I love it. This, I would never play this deck because I would not be able to be good with it. But I mean, a pile of ETB effects, annoying your opponent with like Elite Spellbinder, Skyclave Apparition. We get to see Phyrexian Vindicator come here as a four of. Is this a card that you saw think would would have seen play, Devin? So I was actually just going to talk about that. So I think that if you if we go back to the kind of the the tier list and see what uh what decks on the on are on there, specifically the gruel mid-range deck that Frexian I played a I played a league last night and my opponent cast this card and I just had like what what the heck am I supposed to do against this? <laughs> all, all my red cards deal damage to it. So uh the one thing that I will say about Vindicator is specifically Bone Crusher Giant. There's a little bit of flavor text on it that says damage can't be prevented this turn so you gotta be a little bit careful with your vindicator if you're getting into combat against two open mana but yeah it's just like there's not a lot that kills it and it flies it's great i, th- I i'm pretty interested i'm probably gonna try this deck on the stream at some point interesting yeah it's interesting to see vindicator here just as a value you know it's just a card in this deck nobody's trying to do any weird combo with it it's just a card and great great note about all the red removal and, and decks here because uh, especially ones that can't also cast a terror yeah, I mean, I don't want to see a blip, I don't want to see Obliterator or Vindicator on the other side of the table as like a red deck. You just gotta have your stomp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, another Azorius Control deck in seventh place here by Plaza Twenty Three. This is another one that I think is pretty normal as far as the brewing the uh, the actual deck list itself goes, except for the fact that we have the cat sideboard that I've seen a couple of times when we've been doing. I love the cat sideboard here. Yeah, where we have three Regal Caracal and two brumas so we're bringing in threats cat army baby yeah at this point i wonder if your <laughs> opponent is playing blue eye control and they reveal kahira do you just have to keep in your power word kills like what do you you can't beat the cats if you cut all your power word kills so brutal jukes like that yeah. always more valuable than you think yep and then finally we have mono white humans in eighth place by starfall yeah it's mono white humans baby there you go all right so this top eight pretty conventional like we said, we talked about some of the most interesting tech we're seeing in these these lists right now, the bolus plan, things like that. Uh, anything else you, you guys think about this top eight when you look at it and think about where the metagame's evolving? Um, 
I mean, as far as the like big picture kind of thing, it's a lot of the decks that we would expect. Maybe the outlier being that Gruel Obosh deck, but you know, two copies of Blue White. The I guess the Modern Red deck is a little interesting, but I think from a broad perspective, just a lot of what we would expect. Um, just kind of like really like the best part. The thing about Pioneer is you have to pick a solid deck. You have to have a solid game plan, and you know these decks pretty much have their their solid game plan. So there you go. All right, the next thing we were going to do is talk about some of the further down decks in here, just as far as new cards that are popping up. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, um, and we'll also give Devin a chance to talk about what he played in this actual tournament as well. So first up, though, we have ninth place is a Enigmatic Fires list that is running Atraxa, as well as an Elish Norn. And then other than that, it that's kind of... Those are the new cards that are in the list. But, you know, just keep in mind, of course, that Enigmatic Incarnation is a deck where you can search up whatever you need in a given situation. Seems like pretty good cards to have in the toolbox. Enigmatic deck has one Siege Rano. Just want to make sure that we got that one down. <laughs> Thank you for that note. <laughs> Can't forget about the Dr. Yeah, Rhinoceros. Oh, I would love to forget about it, but I do still have my place at. I have some foils. In hopes. <laughs> in hopes that someday it comes back. But what do we what do we think about this deck? This is a deck that was pretty popular for a little while. We didn't talk about it in our meta breakdown earlier, but it's definitely, a lot of people believe in this deck, and it picked up a couple of pretty powerful new tools. I mean, Elish Norn is a really powerful card, and so is Atraxa, and people are starting to recognize on Atraxa because I'm seeing people complain about TCG player orders being canceled at prices that were too low now. Skyrocketing. What is Five Color Fire's targeting is it saying like i'm going to go over the top of control is it saying like you know no creature decks going to beat me like what is it good against and what is it not so good against Devin? this deck is completely insane against rakdos like as as good as you can possibly have as a as a rakdos matchup i don't think there's anything that beat that has a better matchup against rakdos um the trade-off is that you're a little really not great against monogreen so again it's one of those things where you kind of have to pick and choose the, you have to try to expect the metagame. So if you expect a lot more Rakdos, which as we talked about, I think that personally uh, there's going to be a lot more Rakdos at the PT than Monogreen, then maybe this is something that you would want to look towards. Yeah, if there's two things that PT players love, it is Blue-Eye Control and Jund. And so those are the two decks yeah. that, that we've talked about as being maybe overrepresented. Yeah, put them together. This deck is basically just Blue-Eye Jund, right? There you go. And then also one thing that players don't like that much is Tron, I think, which I think is an, a reason that MG, that MGD might end up being underrepresented in the field, potentially. Although, you know, MGD is more complicated deck than Tron. Sorry, Tron players. But back on the, just the notes on the Atrax and Elishnorn, I think Elishnorn was basically tailor-made for this deck. Like, it's something that you would, the, the best part about it is if you can go Enigmatic into Elish, it, you get to shut off all of their triggers, so you, nothing bad's going to happen to you on their turn. And then once you untap with it with an Enigmatic in play, it's just like, what, what are they supposed to do? You just like, I played a match with this deck and I got to play Elishnorn, doubled up on a Skyclave trigger, and then a EOT second, double up on an Agent of Treachery trigger. And it's just like, what, what are they supposed to do? They just, you know. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And then you even get to do things like, you know, you get to do have Leyline Binding, get rid of two creature or get rid of two permanents if you want to, and, and all kinds of things like that. Really powerful card, especially when you can just play it as a one of and have it come up when you want it and not come up when you don't. Um, 10th place was a red-green boats list by L1X0, and then also this is a, a similar deck to what you were on in 27th place in this one. So their list had two of the new Luka, you had three. 
theirs had one new sword, you had two of the new sword, the red-green sword, and then you also had two two Miglaws. And since we have you here... Miglaws! Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you think about those new new cards, including the one that I refused to talk about on the first spoiler episode, <laughs> which was Miglaws. So, uh, first and foremost, Luca, I think that card is a shoe-in, probably at least three copies. Uh, maybe the numbers will uh, will change a little bit, but I was just really impressed with it. Um, the nice thing about it is it's flexible because like if you if you don't have a four drop, if you don't have a chariot, you have some extra mana. You can play it on four, then you can also play it on five. The minus four is exceptional against stuff like mono white, um, just decks that have a lot of elves. Like in the mirror match, you can if they go like elf and a stormseeker, and you have the Luca, you can just minus and kill both their elf and their stormseeker. As far as the Sword of Forge and Frontier, the first couple of leagues that I played with it, I was really impressed, but I think it might have just been a matchup thing. I'm a little bit more down on it. I think maybe one main deck, maybe zero, and then put like one or two in the sideboard um, because it's not the best against Rakdos. They have a lot of black removal. They have Shieldred to block. The, uh, the the protection doesn't matter against Shieldred. And then Miglaws is a card that I was initially kind of, it's the reverse. I was actually not really in on it at first, but the more I play with it, uh, it's very versatile. The ability to get, you know, main deck disenchants, more like more Seiju type things in the main deck. Um, being able to give it vigilance is very important. And then also plus two, plus two, hard to block, menace, just it, the stats on it are unreal. So big fan of Miglaws, big fan of Luka, a little bit more down on the sword. Yeah, that's too bad. I'm looking at Luka again right now, and I'm just like, why did we not talk about this card more? There's a lot of cards being spoiled, you know, but I'm looking at it now. I'm like, this card is just good, right? Like ramp makes a beast kill stuff. Yeah. I guess I just kind of looked at it as like, this seems very much what it should cost for its abilities. But I mean, it's always, it's hard for me to have like the best pioneer perspective, right? Yeah. That's why we have, that's why we have Devin on for the best pioneer perspective. Um, how how much are you, were you getting out of the minus four when you got to trigger it? Like the greatest power among creatures you controlled as you activated this ability. What, where do you think that hit? So specifically, it comes up against decks that have Llanowar Elves because usually they're playing other creatures, smaller creatures that you can kill alongside it. Um, like I played it against Elves and my opponent had like, you know, a Lord and two other things and I just played Luka minus kill their whole board. So you can get like the fury aspect similar to similar to what you get in modern under fury. Um, but a lot of the times when you cast it, it's usually they've like you're either ahead, in which case the minus just puts you further ahead or the boards, you know, maybe the board's empty and you're making a three, three, which means if you play it, you have to play, I guess you play it on five minus make a three, three and then minus four. But usually you'd rather just keep the Luca around at that point. So the play patterns mostly were play it and then just minus one every turn for it's like a you know, expensive bitter blossom that makes three threes. Uh, that's really the the most where it came up, especially against Rakdos, the grinding matchups where they, they kill all your stuff. So awesome. All right. So 11th place, we had a nine mid range deck by Standerson. Standerson's a pretty well-known uh, streamer as well. I don't remember their uh, non magic online name, but Minato- uh, Naya tokens with Mondrak Dominus main. This is, Trying to get into the token building, I guess. I got, I got some thoughts on this deck. I actually played this on stream right before the <laughs> right before the the show recording. Uh, oh, really? The, the mana in this deck is leaves something to be desired. You're, it's it's kind of rough. You got Mondrak double white, Skyclave double white, uh, and then you got a, a whole bunch of like red green lands. So the mana is a little bit awkward, but I would I will say Mondrak is extremely powerful, a lot better than I thought it was. Mm. Not just for EDH, huh? Yeah. 
you double up Which on is, so yeah. it's it's also sick because you can so with Mondrak, if you have voice of resurgence and a mana available, you play the Mondrak. If they go to kill it, you sack the voice, and with the trigger, you get two tokens off of the voice itself. And then, you know, once that allows you to untap with Mondrak, and then if you untap with it, you play Asika's Cherry, make four two twos. Uh it's also absurd with Fable, because you can go like Fable copy. If the, t- the 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 copy is a token, which means let's say you copy voice, you get two copies of voice, and then those both die at the end of turn, which gives you four elementals. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. All right. Nineteenth place, mono white humans by that one kid with Skrelf. Haven't seen too many humans list with Skrelv yet, just because people were mostly thinking that they th- that humans being a human really extremely matters to that deck. But maybe fitting in some protection is okay too. What do you think about this? This wasn't exactly where I was expecting Skrelv to show up, but we do think it's a card that is very pioneerable. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I'm looking at the list now. They actually trimmed on copies of Recruitment Officer, which to my knowledge was... I don't know if that was the weakest one drop because that was the one that was at least pretty good against Rakdos. Help you kept on kept kept up on cards. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if cutting officer is where you want to be, but I don't hate the card itself. Yeah. All right. Last couple of decks from this one. There was a tw- there was a player in twentieth with auras with Skrelv, which is where we actually thought Skrelv was going to show up. Like a Naya auras. Naya or Well, th- this is kind of the normal way that this deck works. Is that it's it's about searching up one of sort of ghost form and hammer hand mm-hmm, with light mm-hmm. pause to be able to get you know get your haste and also keep it from being killed basically because it ghost form so they're sort of splashing auras but you're really just tutoring up those copies yeah that makes sense part. but i think auras is a deck that you know certainly had a moment at the rc's could come back because of Skrelv. i don't know if we have to delve, dive too much into it unless you have a lot of have thoughts about auras but I, I i like playing auras in pioneer so i'm glad to see it around 21st golgari citadel by carnage cards ent the first tyvar deck that we've seen at least in our particular discussion now tyvar one of the cards that i think is the best in the sets not quite where i thought it would show up what do you think about bolus's citadel so this is something that I had in mind specifically with Priest of Forgotten Gods. Um, being able to give that card haste and untap it, it gets it gets you a lot of cards. So like Tivar in that weird indirect way, you can you can untap the elves to to ramp you towards Citadel, but it's also you can untap the priest. So if you like, even if your elf dies, you can go priest, activate, untap priest. But that's four mana towards the citadel right there. So um it this deck has always been pretty powerful, and I think Tivar is just like an easy shoe-in in this deck. Yeah, what are your overall thoughts on you know Tivar slash Tyvar? We talked about this in your chat today while you were streaming. Um, <laughs> what uh, the Tyvar versus Tivar thing? Not about Tyvar himself. Like, what do you think Tyvar's place in Pioneer is? Especially, do you think he's sort of like going to be in something like these priest decks? Do you think he has a place in elves? Do you think there's some kind of other creature combos that we're not seeing yet, or just aren't good enough? So I actually um, did a YouTube video where I did my kind of my top cards from the new set. Tivar, Tyvar was my number one, and I haven't really seen it a ton. You know, this is really the only show that we've seen it so far. Uh, I tried it in a bunch of different decks. I tried it in Elves. I tried it in Prime Speaker Vanifar, which I know is a deck that Dave loves. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it, it's it's been decent so far. I was actually kind of unimpressed with it in Elves, believe it or not. But I think that might just be part of the way that I constructed my deck. I had a lot of three drops. It was really clunky. So I think that maybe it has a place as like a one or two of an elves, but these shells, like when you're pairing it alongside Priest of Forgotten Gods and cards like uh, Prime Speaker Vanifar, that's where it gets really out of control. Yeah, that makes sense. 
couple of quick things. 24th, there's kind of a bigger red-white deck by Prophet of Fire with some Elish Norn main and also Sarah Paragon, which is just interesting to see somebody try out a bigger version of these white decks. It's a little bit like the red-white deck that we saw earlier. No Nahiri, but it's kind of like more Sarah Paragons, more Elish Norns. Uh, Elspeth Conquers Death, which is a pretty interesting card that you see pop in and out in Pioneer here and there. 25th place was Azorius Control by Claudio, which I just included here because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen Claudio play Blue-White Control. Am I wrong about that? It looks like recently, um, since dabbling, I think, you know, among other things, but yeah, I think switched finally switched off Niv to Light to Azorius Control towards the end of last year, it looks like, from the, from the track record. Hmm. Yeah, he's been jamming it a lot lately. He's got the cats, too. Got it, cats. He's cats got the, the cats. Can't wait to talk about more cats. This episode's going to take a real hard right turn into cats coming up here in a little bit. Uh, 31st place, Rogues by Mario Marcos with the new Jace, the Perfected Mind. I will say, in the heyday of when Historic was a fun format, <laughs> yeah, Rogues was one of my days. jams that I love to play on Arena. It would be fun to see some of these cards come back and actually be good, honestly. And somehow Jace is a card that could make that happen? I don't know. This one I had some doubts about, but I thought it was cool to see Jace in here as a, uh, a self-mill. Yeah, Jace looks... I know we've there's been a lot of Jace in Modern, but it looks pretty interesting here. You know, the especially with the Rogue package like Ruin Crab and Thieves Guild, you're milling quite a bit. So there's a good chance that that minus two is, most, is going to be turned on most of the time. So Yeah, awesome. All right, well, that's that event. And then, so that's just through the top eight, some new cards to keep an eye on. And then Sunday, we had this Pioneer Showcase that Devin was nice enough to write up the notes on this for. Do you want to take us through some of it? Or Shane, do you want to take us through this set? Yeah. So we've got this Sunday Showcase Challenge. Of course, there's always a little bit more. There's more entry. There's more prizing. People are going to you know, bring out the, the big guns, perhaps, during these. And so let's start with... Dirk 714 on four color enigmatic fires. And Elish Norn, Noah Traxa, Archon of Sun's Grace. Tell me about this card. You pointed this out, Devin. So Archon of Sun's Grace, uh, specifically this player, Dirk714. Uh, it's Derek Davis, who actually just recently participated in one of the Magic Online Championship finals, the eight-player big events. So, um, yeah, very well, very well-known, very renowned player. And um, this particular list, I, I know that they, I believe they played this deck at the NRG Championships as well, if I recall correctly. I think they played this. Um, and the one copy of Archon of Sun's Grace. So, not a lot of people play the four drop. Um, in the enigmatic deck because you don't want to sacrifice your fable of the mirror breaker but it can come up in some spots this is uh, a three four flying lifelink gives your other pegasus lifelink and whenever an enchantment constellation whenever enchantment enters the battlefield you get a two two pegasus so you know against decks that have like that are trying to go wide mono white gruel the ability to make a bunch of two twos the three four doesn't die to a lot of the red removal so you get to dodge that stuff and then once you untap, you can kind of just go like make three two two flying lifelinks, and it's really really hard for a lot of those red decks to to keep up with that. And then the one Elish Thorn with no Atraxa, um, I think the Atraxa is maybe a point of contention. I don't think a lot of the Enigmatic decks had it, but uh, I know that some of them did. But this one chose to eschew it. 
Let me, I wanted to ask you a question about attraction. So attraction, obviously a giant creature with a whole bunch of keywords, right? But it doesn't draw a lot of cards in this deck unless I'm reading it wrong, right? You, you'll, you basically draw three when you bring it into play. You, a creature, an enchantment, and a land. Maybe that's just good enough when you can search it up. So that's why people are going for it. But um, how do you feel about it? I did try it when I when the set came out. I tried it. I played mm. a little bit of the Enigmatic deck, and I played both Ellersnort and Atraxa. It was okay. Like you said, it doesn't draw a lot of cards, but the body stabilizes very nicely. And the one important aspect of it is it doesn't add a power word kill. So if the Rakdos deck is more leaning more in on power word kill and fatal push and less on Dreadbore, it's really not that easy for them to kill it. And it's basically impossible to raise it. So. All right, second place, Gruel, mid-range, happy sandwich. So this is kind of looking like a lot of our sort of established Gruel turn creatures sideways decks. It does have a couple new Miglaws, Maze Crushers. It's not running the, the Lucas, not running any of the Swords, like you were testing out, Devin. Tell me a little bit about this deck, because this, this takes me back to when I was really into Standard. And I was playing like gruel mid-range decks and just like turning stuff sideways, ramping out creatures and loving every second of it. Is there more to it than that? Do I get do I just get to, you know, attack and kill people? Or is there is is there something special to this deck that makes it better or worse in particular metas? No, I mean that's pretty much it. We're just trying to we're just trying to cast uh, you know, cast some three drops. I mean, ideally the best curve is Lanor Elf into turn two reckless Stormseeker into turn three chariot. Those are you know, the this is that's the deck's best draws. There's some interesting things about this deck list, though. First and foremost, there's only seven elves. So they have decided to cut the eighth copy of the, the elf, which I find a little bit strange. Uh, three Bonecrusher Giant, very strange as well. I think that Bonecrusher is in an amazing spot right now. And then the other point of contention is main deck Werewolf Pack Leader versus a different two drop that would allow you to Companion Gigantha or just no two drops altogether. I am still of the opinion that you definitely want to play Gigantha, and I don't think that, you know, getting Pack Leader um, is worth it. This deck also has Embercleave, I guess, to prevent you from Giganting. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of the same stuff that you see, just a, maybe a slightly different take here. Yeah, and some particular sideboard cards would also keep you from winning Gigantha, which is a Thrun, Breaker of Silence. He's got the new one Thrun, which is just what... You know, a five mana f five five can't be countered with trample, can't be the target of non-green spells or abilities from non-green sources, and it has indestructible on your turn. Just just worth running. This is your control <laughs> sideboard card. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like this is yeah. And then Chandra Awaken Inferno, of course, also has double pips. And that's a card that I've seen in some of these decks just to what go over the top again again against control decks. Yeah, and I think the decision to split the can't be countered spells is there's some spots where Chandra's maybe a little bit weaker if they have like some people born in Pithing Needle and they're already gonna bring a needle against you anyways because you have chariot. So splitting yeah. the Chandra and the Thrun does make a lot of sense there. Cool, that makes total sense. We've got third place Stefano O on uh, Ginger's list from yesterday, fourth place underscore ZNT underscore on Ari Zach's list from the Saturday challenge. So third and fourth place just running those uh, first and second place decks back. Interesting. Fifth place, Martin Dominguez on five color fires. And I really wish that I had spent more time looking at the difference between the four color and the five color fires X, because it looks like there are, are some differences I should care about, or maybe not. Um, I don't really think so for the most part. I think it's just the labeling. Okay, nope, I apologize. So the four color deck does not have any black cards in the main deck. The five color deck has, and I, I should have noted this down. This is Callous Blood Mage, 
Uh, we get Siege Rhino, Zer. Yep, Siege Rhino, and Zer Eternal Schemer. So these are the black cards that they're kind of incorporating in. Now, it's kind of a fake five-color deck because you're just going to be searching these off of Enigmatic yeah. Incarnation anyways, not casting them most of the time. But that's kind of the 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 fake fifth color is for those three cards. Um, Siege Rhino showing up again. Maybe it's uh, maybe Elish Norn is, is what we need to bring Siege Rhino back <laughs> into the metagame. Oh my gosh. Then Massacre Girl on the side. This was a card that I randomly would have cast against me on Magic Arena, and I would just be like, what the heck just happened? Because I feel like that, that card can do a lot. Double trigger with Elishnorn? Love it. Let's yeah. do it. I was just over here salivating about Nylia's presence with Elishnorn. <laughs> yeah, let me draw two cards off of this off of this thing, Abundant Growth. Dave, are you secretly just you, like you, a Panharmonicon player? You just, you just want to be doing that? <laughs> I mean, maybe I am. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> All right, let's see. What's, in, what's next? All right, uh, Pinsu NTG on Obzon Greasefang. Kind of just running like what? Like a shaving a wayfinder, adding a silence. We have Doom Whisper making an appearance, which is, that's, that's way back in the day. So this particular list here, uh, we're, we have we have trimmed a Seder Wayfinder down to three copies. Uh, two Lilianas in the main, which is something that we don't typically see in Greasefang. I've seen it kind of float in and out a little bit. The one main deck silence, the one traverse. Uh, there's a murderous cut here as well, and no copies of Eldritch Evolution, which is something sometimes that uh, people play. But usually you would play Eldritch Evolution alongside Stitcher Supplier, which we don't see the suppliers here as well. So that's kind of like a package deal. Since we're talking about Greasefang, and I feel like we've sort of talked about Greasefang a lot on the show because it's always one of those decks where like, sure, it seems like you can win pretty convincingly at times, but then it's one of those decks that people don't even have to target to beat. Right, like you're gonna run graveyard hate. You're gonna run certain types of cards that will make Greasefang just not function very well. What are your kind of thoughts on? Would you ever play Greasefang? Would you ever bring Greasefang to a tournament? Like, what's kind of your incentive to do so? Uh, if I ever thought about playing Greasefang, I think what I would do is I would uh, go into my wallet and I would pull out a quarter (laughs) and then I would flip it. And if it landed on heads, that would be the day to play Greasefang. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. But (laughs) at at the end of the day, there is a lot of variance involved. Like you said, um, people don't really have to want to beat you to beat you, which is not something that a lot of graveyard decks of the past can say, like Dredge, for example. This Greasefang deck being a graveyard deck that's also weak to Fatal Push and very common sideboard removal spells, on top of the fact that people play Trespasser, Unlicensed Her, Scavenging Use, all this kind of stuff. So personally, I don't think I would, but you know, you you got if if you feel like you're gonna run pretty good, then uh, maybe maybe that's the day. I will say these Doom Whispers are kind of kind of hot in the sideboard. I haven't seen that card before. <laughs> yeah, I so was what, looking at it. Yeah, that's yeah. like you, it lets you surveil stuff into your graveyard, which is nice, right? And as much as you want, you, you can do it as many times as you have life. Pay two life, surveil two. It's the fixed crystal brand. <laughs> the seventh place deck, Terabad on Monogreen Devotion. This one has no Nicobolus. So it's just kind of, it's doing just the classic Karn Kiora. But it's got a Might, Might Stone and Weak Stone main. Main. W- yeah, that's the thing that's really surprising to me is that I, I saw some of the earlier decks had it in the sideboard. And in fact, this one also has a copy in the sideboard. What's up with having one main? Just is it a little bit of ramp and a little bit of creature removal? Just like a kind of like a band-aid slapped over the side of a couple of different things you want to try to do? Or what do you think is the idea behind having one main? So the weird, the thing that I never kind of understood, and maybe this is just me as a player, but there are 
I know this is going to sound crazy because it's a current sideboard, but there are actually sideboard plans for Mono Green Devotion. So I think the main deck, Might Stone and Weak Stone, is really just an extension of the sideboard. It's essentially a 16th cards, 16th sideboard card slotted into the main deck. Mm-hmm. Part of this, like, maybe you want to board into against certain decks that you don't think you're going to have access to Karn against, which I think is a good plan against Rakdos, because if you expect your Karn to get thought seized, having a high-impact artifact that you can hit off of Storm the Festival, which kills Shieldred, so it's very important there, uh, mm-hmm. is maybe an, a- an avenue that you want to explore. Interesting. I've seen people talking about this card with and blinking it lately too, Might Stone and Weak Stone, and I was like, wow, yeah, that would be pretty devastating to be able to blink this every turn. But cool card to have around. And I've noticed in the sideboards of some of these green decks that the Filigree Silex is making an appearance. And it's interesting to me because it's just basically you know, an upgraded, slightly upgraded Ratchet Bomb. And Ratchet Bomb wasn't something that we were seeing. I, mean, I, I guess that, that was not Pioneer Legal before, correct? Is it is is Ratchet it was. Bomb? It was, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's in 15 or 16. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what I'm, what I'm looking at, just being like, well, why we weren't running Ratchet Bomb before. Is Filigree Silex that much better that we're going to run it now? In case you like what, just like board stalls, like remove the ten oil counters and dome them. I mean, I hope we see that on camera at the PT. I would love for somebody to get <laughs> dome dome shotted for ten. Um, I think From it might bowl. just be <laughs> upstairs. I think it might just be um, part of like the metagame. If as people are more shifting towards like these. I'm trying to think of like the Llanowar Elves decks. So like Gruul, for example, if, if people are uptick in Gruul, um, then Needle gets a lot better, not Needle, uh, the Ratchet Bomb effect. The other thing that I will like, that I will say, it's actually an out to cards that you wouldn't normally have an out to in the sideboard. Like against the Angels matchup, if they get a Righteous Valkyrie, that's more than five toughness. You really can't kill that because you have Boat and Mightstone, but yeah. Filigree Salix could be a way to uh, way around that. Sweet. All right, and then eighth place, we have... Ada Bivois on Rakdos mid, and it looks really close to uh, Misplaced Changers list. They don't have the Lily, and they have another Graveyard Trespasser instead. So there's our there's our top eight players. Again, we have some sort of established decks in the Enigmatic Fires, the Monogreen Devotion, the Grease Fang, and, and Rakdos, and we have some newer things like this, you know, this Gruel Midrange deck, and some new additions to the Fires decks. But nothing's like completely going wild in the top eight here. One thing that I will say about this top eight that kind of surprised me is two copies of Enigmatic where, you know, we haven't seen this deck doing super well over the past. We saw one in ninth place in the last challenge, but um, really it's been kind of a a dip in terms of the metagame share. And I think part of that was because the rise in monogreen, you know, as monogreen like this, the Enigmatic deck has a very hard time against monogreen. But as we see the metagame shift maybe more towards Rakdos, then Enigmatic mm-hmm. becomes a lot more appealing because that that matchup is just a, a cakewalk for the Enigmatic decks. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything what's happening on the rest of the tournament. Yeah. yeah. Anything oh, anything you wanna you wanna pick out in like the, the the rest of the, the top thirty two? there's some some decks you called out when you were you know preparing for the episode and, and some things I think are particularly interesting. Like what are the things that that you really saw there? So ninth place, we had uh, Fink 64 on Mono Blue Spirits. Now, looking at the deck list, there wasn't a ton of, there wasn't really any new cards here. Um, the one thing, there's two things that I want to kind of go over here. So not Blue White, not Azorius, which uh, with Sea Chrome Coast, I think we kind of expected more people to play Azorius than that would be the preferred version moving forward. The reason I think to play Mono Blue is more so you have a little bit more game in the Rakdos matchup because of Faceless Haven, and Azorius doesn't have access to that. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that's maybe a reason. And also you are a little, probably a little bit better in terms of like when you're on the play and you have your one drop into Curious Obsession plus protection up, that is a way to beat Rakdos where it's traditionally, it's not that great of a matchup for spirits. So that could be kind of a way to cheese them, but just uh, something worth noting there in ninth place. I mean, that was a deck that was super popular towards the end of RCQ season last year, kind of fell off. And now the the previous challenge, yesterday's challenge, the 11th challenge, was also probably had four or five different spirits lists within the top 32 that we didn't talk about. It hasn't been on my radar. It is one of my favorite decks in Pioneer. Um, do you think there's any chance that this kind of deck becomes something that pros would bring to the, the PT, or is this just kind of not have enough playability kind of see it's tough if you expect a lot of Rakdos because i think that matchup is an uphill battle for the spirits players but if you if maybe they predict the metagame to be a lot more mono green and lotus then spirits is an amazing call because those two matchups are just you know absolutely amazing for the spirits decks um so i think it really at the end of the day comes down to and a lot of what this is you know a lot of this this whole preparation especially when you're testing on a team and you're trying to gather all this information is you have to at some point you have to make a decision on what you expect the metagame to be because that is going to inform your deck choice and you know if they if they get it right then mono blue could be a really good call awesome i'll be pulling for it down at the station uh what's next what else did you see in mind? I had 10th place here. Just wanted to note that there was a, a Gruul mid-range deck. Um, just as far as new cards, there's two Miglaws, one Luka, no swords main, and then an additional Luka in the sideboard. So two two Miglaws, two Luka, and then no swords. Um, but 12th place here, we got we got a nice one. So this is Watu, which is Guillaume Wafotapa, Demir Control. Not a lot of oh, new cards. Oh, you don't cards. say. Yeah. Did, did you, you know who that is? <laughs> I've heard it once or twice. Yeah, I'm waiting until you talk about the other person who was playing Demir Control in this challenge in oh, the showcase that, as well. Right. Mm, who's that guy? Nobody knows that guy. Only yeah. only three uh, <laughs> Hall of Famers that I can see so far already, but go on. So Watu's deck specifically, there's not a ton of new cards in the main deck. I know that Nasif, who we might get to at some point, um, was was playing a lot of copies of Shield Boutique. Watu was only playing one copy. Uh, two main deck Narsets, no Days Undoings. Um, but the, the spice here, there is... Four copies, that is right, four copies, not a typo, of Blue Sun's Twilight in the sideboard. Whoa, we didn't hmm. even talk about any of the, the Twilights in our spoiler episodes, because we just were like, ah, none of these are really worth talking about. Go, what is this card? Blue Sun's Twilight, X generic, blue, blue, sorcery, gain control of target creature with mana value X or less. If X is five or more, create a token that's a copy of that creature. So this is... Um, you know, functionally better version of that card from Ixalan was they called Enchanting Melody. Is that what that card is? Yeah. And so that's the first sentence of of this card. And then this one tacks on to the end of it. If it's five or more, make another token of it. Are we, what are we doing with four of this card? We must be stealing low drops of some kind. Um, See, I was thinking the other way. I was thinking against okay. green, where if they stick a cav and you go X equals five, steal your cav, make a copy of cav. Because the cool thing about that line is you get two cav triggers, which means you can tap out, get two calves, get two untapped lands and hold up a counter spell. Wow. Now, uh, you That's could also true. against maybe maybe like the sort of lower to the ground decks. We have like the Elvish Mystics, maybe three mana take an elf. But the thing about that exchange is you're spent. You would be spending three mana to take one elf, which is not the best exchange because you have to not do good. it. We have to wait until turn three. They've already gotten value out of their elf. 
So I think it's more for like the the top end stuff. Uh, Old Growth Troll, I could see it being particularly good against and then the Cavaliers. Um, but yeah, very interesting card. We really haven't seen like Demir Control play these sort of control magics before. Uh, it's been a while, at least since, since I've seen them. Yeah, and we might as well talk about 17th place. As you mentioned, Gabe Nassif, also in this challenge, also playing Demir Control. Similar deck. It doesn't have the Blue Sun Zenith in the side. Um, does have three Shielders Edicts main, which you mentioned about uh, Wafo's deck as well, having one. This card was one of my favorite cards on the spoiler spoiler episode. I thought that this had some potential to do something. I wasn't sure about it in Pioneer. Thought it was had some applications in Modern, honestly. But I think this is a powerful removal spell and more uh, more flexible than it looks like it is. Yeah, it's funny. When I looked at it at first, I didn't think too, too much of it. But the more I've played against it, like the the stuff that you would normally expect to blanket edict, like Lovestruck Beast 1-1s or just random tokens, it doesn't do that against this card. So I think it's it's definitely, right. I, I should have respected it a, a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I'm not surprised to see three copies here. We also have our, our meat in our Hall of Famer sandwich here of Willie Adel, 16th place <laughs> on Gruel Midrange. Uh, this is similar to kind of the, the last Gruel deck we talked about where it has the four werewolf, werewolf pack leaders. It has the Asicus Chariot, the Sky Sovereigns, a couple Ember Cleaves. This one has a singleton of the Swords of Forge and Frontier uh, and two main deck Canker Bloom, which is just that sort of flexible two drop that can be sacrificed for uh, disenchant or a prolif- proliferate effect. The one really nice thing about Canker Bloom as well, specifically against Bone Crusher Giant, that um, if your opponent bo- if your opponent stomps your Canker Bloom, normally with a card like uh, Outland Liberator, you had to have a target to sacrifice it, but you can just sacrifice the Canker Bloom to blank the Bone Crusher half of it because you can just proliferate. So it's a kind of a small yeah. upgrade. The third power is obviously good as well. Um, the one thing that I want to note here about this mana base and something that I wouldn't necessarily recommend if you're playing Gruel, but there's four Copperline Gorge and four Layer of the Hydra. Now, in terms of building mana bases, that's a lot of fast lands. And you have cards like, well, I guess, yeah, this list has three Asika's Chariots. So the issue with that is you're going to find yourself in a lot of spots where your third or fourth land may come into play tapped more often than you'd like it. And when you have, you know, powerful cards like Chariots and Swords and Boats and all this kind of stuff... I would shy away from playing the full... I would play the Four Gorges, but I, I don't think I'd play the Four Layers. Interesting. You have words for Willie Adel. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> I wonder is Willie? I wonder if Willie is cued for this or not. He does just pop up occasionally in tournaments like this and kind of bring the rock, so to speak. This is not really a rock deck, you know, <laughs> like what you would see pop up in... In a uh, modern, but um, it's cool to see him playing it for sure. The um, there was one more person on Gruel Mid in 29th place. It was Yao Claudio MS Gruel Mid, and you, you noted that they had two Lucas and two Swords as well. So they're a believer in Luca, where some of the other Gruel decks we have seen have not been running it at, uh, as much. Yeah, I think that list specifically was actually the very the first list that I played almost card for card. I think they changed one card. And that was the list that I three one to prelim with, where I started with two Lucas, two swords. So very, very similar to where I was I was at at first. And yeah, the it's, it feels kind of weird to be trimming on Lovestruck Beast because that's what I was doing personally when you're playing with sword, because the one one from Lovestruck Beast, which normally doesn't matter in a lot of spots, comes up a lot more when you have the sword to make essentially every mm. creature late game a threat. Um, and that's why I like the sword at first so much is because you top deck an elf later on and all of a sudden it's now a three three that draws you two cards. So it just kind of turns all of your otherwise dead late game top decks into actual threats. 
can we can we talk about this twenty second place deck before we probably move on to some some more meat of this episode because this is something that I thought we would see, and this is kind of the only example of it, which is a Rakdos Anvil deck by <laughs> GXS three V three N with four Gleeful Demolition in the main deck, which is kind of you know the red sorcery destroy target artifact, and if you controlled it, you get to make three one one goblin tokens, and so. These sacrifice decks are always some things that I think will have some kind of legs just due to kind of their resiliency and grindiness and ability to stop aggro decks in their tracks often, but we're not kind of seeing them overwhelm the meta, but this is kind of the direction I thought it would go with Gleeful Demolition. Yeah, this deck looks particularly um, particularly good. There's We got some experimental synthesizers and research desks to go alongside the Gleeful Demolitions, both of which to give you a little bit of value alongside the Oni Cult Anvils. The one thing that I will note is we talked about how with the Rakdos Sacrifice deck, the reason that I think a lot of people don't want to gravitate towards it is it has a rough matchup against Mono Green, specifically the card Car and the Great Creator. The awkward part about adding Oni Cult Anvil to your deck is you make your deck a lot weaker to Garn the Great Creator. So if Monogreen has a bit of a tick up and a resurgence, might not be uh, where you want to be. But as far as the list is concerned, I love it. I think Demolition is an awesome card. Um, I, you know, the card that I kind of want to pair it with is Reckless Bushwhacker. Um, you don't have the same redundancy as you do in Modern, like the 8-whack decks, but uh, I think there potentially could be something there. We talked a lot about some of these Pioneer challenges. And I don't know exactly what we learned about the format. Like, I, there's some some things that I, I I noticed, but like, I don't know, Devin. What does this make you think? When you both in your experiences and the challenges, and just paying attention to the meta and kind of what you're seeing when you're playing on stream, like, what are people playing in the format right now? And is it kind of shifting even in the last two weeks since like the Frank article we talked about? So at least my own personal experience, I played in, well, I actually played in both of these events over the weekend. Uh, the Pioneer Challenge on Saturday, I played against Rakdos four times, and then I think a smattering of other decks. And then on the sh the Showcase Challenge, I actually dropped when I was two and three, played against Rakdos three times. So of the seven, 12 matches of Magic I played, I played against a total of s 12 matches, seven Rakdos decks. Yeah, that is a lot, <laughs> and it's kind of what, personally, what I expect. I do expect Rakdos to be the most played deck, and I think a lot of it might have to do with, like, we talk about these teams who want to go through and try and break the format. Well, if they don't have, if they can't break the format, I think Rakdos is the deck that pros would gravitate towards the most because it offers you the most amount of agency, like, People just love casting Thoughtseize. They get to sculpt their entire game plan around it. It's just an awesome card to cast. And so you can leverage play skill. It gives you a lot of uh, a lot of leeway with sideboarding decisions. Like we saw, you know, Ginger had like five sweepers in his sideboard. So I think it is the most flexible and the most just abstractly uh, good card deck. And I, I believe it will be the most played deck. And I, I think that these kind of results should speak to that as well. Something that I noticed just in terms of like the top 32s is that mono white humans was not really showing up in these two challenges. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, I've heard a lot of accounts recently about people saying that this deck is towards the top of the meta, both fallout from the NRG and, you know, uh, Ross and Tannen over on uh, rants. We're talking about mono white still being something that they would expect to be 
really well positioned, but we're not seeing it kind of show up here. And like you said, we still saw tons of Rakdos, a lot of mono green devotion, even though we heard about the purported downswing of those decks from Frank, but are they just so good in their raw power level that like they're not going anywhere? Yeah, they're, they're definitely the two best decks. One thing that um, that is kind of strange as well, um, kind of piggybacking off of the Frank Karsten thing, is we didn't see a lot of Lotus Field. So, you know, yep. and I wonder if part mm. of that has to do with uh, specifically Magic Online, that there are a lot of clicks required to go through and execute the full combo. That mm-hmm. is a possibility. I don't know if that's what if that would necessarily you know shy, shy people away from playing it. Um, but yeah, people yeah, might not your... like friendly scoop against it because it's a challenge, not a league or something like that. Yeah, you know, in a larger event like that. But specifically, mono white, I think. There was a consensus that Mono White had a good Rakdos matchup, or at least a somewhat favorable, maybe close closer to even, you know, back before the R season around that time frame. But I think over time, people when you get people like Ginger who are playing, you know, hundreds of leagues of, leagues of Rakdos, it's they hammer out sideboard plans and they figure yeah. out ways to beat them. And I think one thing that I've I've noticed, I've, I watched Ginger a good bit, is the evolution of the Rakdos deck and the sideboard plans and and what he does in certain matchups. People are watching that and they're figuring out how to beat these matchups with Rakdos. And, you know, we saw most, um, a lot of the Rakdos lists that we saw in these events were just carbon copies of Ginger's list. And there's a good reason. It's just mm-hmm. the best list. Yeah, let someone else do the work and then just net deck it. That's, that's my yeah. favorite tactic, I, honestly. <laughs> Shane, we're not equipped to do anything other than that. That's a good that's, point. That's what we. That's what we can do. We hope. We hope to be able to pilot the decks effectively. I changed one sideboard card. It's mine yeah. now. Then it's a brew, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you? Th- what are you seeing, Dave? Anything that you're thinking about, just in response to these challenges, depending based on what we talked about? We've been talking about Pioneer more than a lot, more than a, we have a lot in the past, in the past few weeks. So it's like I feel like we're actually paying attention to it more. Yeah, I want to get into. So we talked earlier about that it's possible someone might break it. So I'd love to spend the last part of the show here talking about... Cathammer? The sleeper decks that might be Can we just talk about Cathammer? I mean, Cathammer is going to be the first one. But I, I did want to tee Devin up here. So Devin, like we said, has been making a lot of new... He's been streaming full-time, content creation full-time, did a great video about a week and a half ago, launched on Monday the 6th, called These New Phyrexia Pioneer Brews Are Crazy. And it was an awesome kind of like overview of eight or nine or 10 different decks that had popped up right at the beginning of this Phyrexia 1, uh, all will be one season. And so I think people should go check out that video, even though it's been out for a couple for a week or so to see, just if you want to see what types of things are going on, Devin has individual videos for most of the decks that you talked about on, on that list. Maybe your plan is to go through all of those. So far, it's just most of them. But I think we should go through some of the decks from that video and talk oh, about, yeah. A, if you think any of these were the ones that you have a chance to break it, or just what you think has the most potential to be a total rogue deck that could surprise everybody at the Pro Tour. Sure, yeah. And, and for me, that really starts with Cat Hammer. So, because this is more really than just like, a meme, right? I yeah. mean, potentially more than just a meme. People are people are winning with it. Well, I think it depends, <laughs> right? So, uh, I'm gonna I'll tee it up here too. So, I really love Hammer and Modern. I've been enjoying playing it the last couple of months. As soon as Kemba came out, people started realizing, okay, we have another equipper in Pioneer. Has some weird constraints around it. What kind of deck? can we make out of this? And there are way more versions of this deck flying around than I thought there actually would be. 
Yeah, and you know, like you said, there are the different versions we've seen. So I think the the very first list that I saw was from I think it was DaVinci MTG on Twitter. They had it was kind of like the the original Boros sketch, which was had Kemba's. They had the Warrior package with Fireblade Charger, Cacophony Scan, Resolute Strike. You know, your Four Cigars Aid, some mixture of Open the Armory, I think is what it's called. That's yeah. the Tutor and then Fighter yeah. Class. So there was that version. There was the white green cats version, which I believe was played. I think it was either Happy Sandwich or uh, no Crusher Bot. Crusher Bot. So Crusher right. Bot, which is a modern hammer grinder, they four out a prelim that had uh, their deck had like Sacred Cat, Feline Sovereign, uh, the other two mana one one double strike cat, a Doran Pouncer, kind of like a cat theme with Kahira, and then there was a version that I saw the other day on Twitter, I think it was the earlier this morning from Pascal Maynard, which was a mono white cats version, Sacred Cat, Adorn Pouncer, Kahira, and then uh, you're going mono white, so you play I think it was around 18 basic planes to play both uh, ossification and laydown arms, so you get premium removal in wow. addition to the cat package. So like Dave said, a lot of different ways to build this deck. Um, I've played a few leagues with it. My initial reaction is still a little bit Best skeptical. I don't <laughs> I don't think we've quite found the best version yet, um, but it's definitely has the potential, you know, like I uh, the video, you know, clickbait and, and whatever. But, you know, I the video that I uploaded yesterday was Pioneer is now a turn two format and I did have, you know, one turn mm-hmm. kill in five rounds. So basically, basically, but <laughs> yeah, I think that there's there's some some stuff there that it's very powerful. The warrior shell, I think, is probably the best version because you get to play the resolute strike, which is, again, additional equippers like Dave was saying. Yeah, so you like the combo version. And just so people understand, it's Cacophony Scamp is the one where if you get a hit in it with a hammer attached to it, you then get to sacrifice it to do a fling oh, sweet. effect. Right? And so yeah. what happens is the person is just dead at that point because you hit him for 20 with it, essentially. And so it's a more of a combo aspect to it than, you know, Pascal Maynard <laughs> who won the RCQ that he was in with the cat deck also said, I think this is the worst deck I've ever, (laughs) ever registered for an event or something like that. I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. At least he's honest. And then, yeah, the crusher bot decks, like you said, I think people are really interested in those, but it's, it's the more that I've watched different people or just seen the different lists floating around. I'm definitely the most interested in trying out the one with cacophony scamp, because I think the combo aspect of it is powerful to try to just go extremely fast, try to get through things as much as you can um, rather than going wide with a bunch of cat Lords and stuff like that. The one last thing that I will say about it is, so you think about as a modern hammer deck has the backup plans of Stoneforge for Cauldra and Urza Saga. So what I think that what we need to find is we need to find a better backup plan so you know you think like sometimes there's like if you could maybe play more copies of the sword because the sword is just naturally good with like if you have a random creature plus a cigar to say you can kind of get a mana discount on it um potentially showdown of the skulls which is a card that i saw da vinci playing i incorporated that in my list but i think what we need to find is some sort of backup plan either as a sideboard pivot or a sideboard juke or potentially just incorporating that into the main deck but something that kind of flows better with the rest of the curve because a lot of these cards are expensive and clunky so yep totally makes sense okay and so the last thing i'm gonna do here is we're gonna rate it from pro tour zero to pro tour hero this is closer to Pro Tour Zero than Pro Tour Hero, it sounds like to me. Is that is that where your mind is at? Uh, 
about like 40 60 maybe it's like just 40, 60. i feel like it's just below the halfway point because i like you know there's no other deck in the format that can kill on turn two if, let's just get that right. out of the way this, this is the only one that can do that so it is powerful um if you like i said if you want to high roll but i think past the high roll if you find a way to make the backup plan good that's when this deck gets broken Awesome. All right. Next thing on the list that was interesting or that I saw the most talk around the last week on Twitter, Mind Splice Apparatus turns slash cheating mana slash its wilderness reclamation, but more powerful deck. You know, this is one that you talked about on your on on your video, and it was centered around taking extra turns. I've seen Todd Anderson trying out a couple of versions that have less kind of turns cards in them, less taking extra turns in them. You you had eight between Aaron's Epiphany and Part of the Water Veil. I think the list I've seen that he has only has Aaron's Epiphany in them. But this is, you know, I haven't seen too many of these in the results at all yet. Have you played this? What do you think about this deck right now as far as is Mind Splice Apparatus really kind of going to be a powerful engine? Uh, One league in... I think, yeah, I think I only got to play one league with it, maybe a league and a half. It felt okay. Um, the games where, so I, the way that I constructed my version is I was, as you said, way more all in on the apparatus turns aspect. So the version that Todd, the versions, I should say, because Todd has been playing a ton of this deck, way more than I have. But the versions that Todd was working on were mostly just kind of control decks that had apparatus as kind of like, you know how the Wilderness Wreck decks didn't have like a ton of the time walks, but they would use Wreck as just to get this massive mana advantage with like a small expansion explosion, draw a bunch of cards, and then that would find the kill. So that's kind of the idea where you play Apparatus. It's a little bit slower, but you play Apparatus, play some control cards, and then kind of go off from there. What I was doing is I was playing the maximum number of time walks, so the four part, the water bales. I was splashing for Growth Spiral just to play Apparatus a turn early to just get the combo going i was even playing with the anticipate that proliferates because the turn after you play mind splice the anticipate which i think it's called experimental augury you pro you anticipate you spend a mana proliferate onto the mind splice which gives you the mana that you spent back so it's effectively just a free spell the turn that you're going off with mind splice so i was in it you know it digs you to your time walks so I was way more focused on the combo version, which personally, if you're playing a four mana artifact that doesn't impact the battlefield, personally, I think you have to be kind of all in on the combo. And that's how I generally approach these kinds of decks, where if they have a card that is a centered around a combo piece, just building around that that building block as much as possible and make that card when you have it, that is the best card in your deck. That's That's kind of my philosophy. And do you feel like the power level, you've only played one league, like you said, but do you feel like when you've gotten the deck going that it's felt powerful enough to be worth all the work to get it set up? Or what do you, what's your gut there? So, you know, I've also watched a ton, I've watched Todd play a ton of this deck, uh, all the different versions that he had. I think he had Demir, it and Azorius. So we basically covered the entire rainbow. Um, the one thing I noticed across all the versions is the deck is broken when it has Mind Splice Apparatus, un you know, unanswered. Uh, and a little flimsy when it doesn't find it. It's like a bad control deck at that point. So maybe the answer to that question is either play more cards that dig deep, like Dig Through Time, because that card is still legal in Pioneer. So you could potentially go to something like that. Or if there was some efficient way to tutor it, but I really don't think that that, that, that exists in Pioneer. But yeah, so maybe some more cons add more consistency in terms of finding the apparatus itself. I think that's the the biggest key to unlocking this one. Yeah. All right. 
Makes sense. All right. So the next deck I want to ask you about, I don't even know what to call this. It's a Tyvar deck. <laughs> um, I was watching this today. <laughs> I saw um, a player that I'm a little bit familiar with. Um, his name is Brendan, right? Brendan DeCandido. And he post made a post that said, someone please break this before the Pro Tour. Also, you're welcome. This deck has four Seder Wayfinder, four Blood Tithe Harvester, one Thassa's Oracle, four Moret of the Frost, two Tyvar, and then just like a lot of cards <laughs> after that that... <laughs> I'm not, I have to be honest. I, I looked at your deck list of this. I saw that you were playing it. There's gifts being exchanged. People are saying, let him cook. <laughs> what, what does this deck do? What is this? I mean, how does this work? Exclamation okay. point so, combo, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, we don't, we don't have a combo command watch in the, the comments section below. <laughs> but the, the, basically the combo is you're playing a card. It's called uh, Herald Unites the Elves. So the only important text on this card is the first chapter. It's four mana for an enchantment saga. And the first chapter says when it enters the battlefield, you mill three cards, then return. And specifically, it says return an elf or Tivar card from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's important. We'll get to that later. The second aspect of the combo is Morit of the Frost, which is basically the only text on this card that matters is it's changeling, which means it's all creature types. It's a clone for any permanent, which includes enchantments, and it's legendary. So what you do is you play your Herald, which mills three cards. You get back the Morit, which clones the Herald, which then triggers the Saga again, which mills three cards. You get back another clone. Now, the, the second clone that comes into play as a Herald is legendary. So you get to legend rule, keep the other one, which goes back to the graveyard. And then the trigger on the Saga brings back the same clone. So basically, that loop lets you mill your entire deck. And then on the last activation of the of the card, the, the enchantment, the Saga, because it says you can return a Tivar card, you get back Tivar Jubilant Brawler, which then the Tivar Jubilant Brawler minus two brings back Thassa's Oracle. And you have no oh deck, so you gosh. win with Thassa's Oracle. <laughs> yeah, so I was watching you but, play this today on stream, and I feel like the setup looked a little bumpy. <laughs> yeah, that's putting that's, it lightly. The setup, the setup, the setup looks bumpy. <laughs> okay, so this is meme deck? This is meme.deck? Like, this is just for fun, or... I think so. I want it to be good because okay. in you know my heart of hearts, I love goofy, wacky, stupid combo decks like this, but uh, it, it, it went pretty rough. It was pretty rough. What's the roughest part, do you think? Like, is it just like all the pieces coming together or like people can disrupt you with graveyard hate or all the above? So one thing that I realized, I thought at first that this deck was actually kind of starting to, it was trying to dodge a lot of the common plate hate cards. And then I realized that the combo doesn't beat Pithing Needle or Besiege you because they can needle your Tibar and they can Besiege your Saga midway through the combo. And that's when I was like, yeah, this is probably not the best idea. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there's something there. I mean, there's, there is a combo, um, but there is, yeah, <laughs> the combo exists. <laughs> just how, uh, how consistent it's like what for combos is always like, what, how consistently can you do it? And how easily can you be disrupted? I feel like, and how, how quickly can you, can you go off? But we, I, the, what I'm getting from this, though, is we shouldn't expect there to be a run on Morrie of the Frost at the convention center during the beginning of the Pro Tour. Like, this is probably not going to come up on, on the floor. Maybe I'm round a, one. I'm not my four, just in case. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe you can uh, make a killing on him from when Gabe Nassif really needs him the day before. He's walking around going, I need more to the Frost. Um, <laughs> 
All right. Another Tivar deck that I thought, you know, wanted to check in on is Vanifar combo with, with Tivar. Oh, you said the magic We all know words. about the chain. Yep. Saying it all, putting it together, Vanifar. I have trophied with this deck in modern before. I'm just going to say it's been a long time, many years, but, you know, I love Vanifar. So I just wanted to, to see, ha has there been any movement here? Do we think that this is a possible deck or is this kind of just another creature combo deck that probably doesn't quite have the resilience for Pioneer? Well, Dave, I have some good news for you because I uploaded a video well, with this deck, not I think a couple of days ago, and this was out of all of the decks that I played with Tyvar, this was by far my favorite one. Like I, it impressed me the most for sure, because the for those of you who don't know, the Vanifar combo is essentially if you have Vanifar and a one drop, there's a convoluted loop where you put a bunch of extraction specials onto the battlefield, give them haste and attack your opponent. But the most important part about Tyvar specifically with Vanifar is giving in haste and that because yeah. a lot of times with Vanifar, as I'm sure you're well aware, you have to just play it and cross your fingers. But with now, if you get to curve, say, Tivar, you know, untap a blocker, be able to protect it, then you're just off to the races next turn. So this one definitely impressed me the most. Um, and I don't even think the list that I played was particularly good. I didn't have a lot of additional tutor targets. Um, Fauna Shaman also as good as Fauna Shaman was giving haste with Tivar and being able to the untap really never came up. I thought it like in my head, I thought it would come up where you untap the like you activate Fauna Shaman, untap it, activate it again. But that was more cute than anything else. But yeah, I think with some refinement, I think that Vanifar combo that would be, you know, if you're if you want me to pick a sleeper pick out of all these decks and all the brews that I've made, my sleeper pick for the PT might be Vanifar. Fascinating. Not the answer I was expecting. I was no. very much expecting people were going to say, hey, we're we're catting it up, just especially with all the other people I've seen pick it up this uh, over the last weekend just to try out. But um, that would be cool and interesting to see a kind of creature birthing pot-esque combo happen, <laughs> happen at a Pro Tour if in Van the year of our Lord 2023. If Vanifar wins the PT, Dave, what are you going to do? Tattoos, bro. <laughs> Tattoos, 100%. I got, a, I got a full empty back that I can fit a ooze elf wizard or whatever whatever creature type Vanifar oh, is. Oh, yeah, she is an ooze on. thing, right? Like a slime? I think it is ooze elf advisor or some. I don't know. It's some Ravnica stuff. That's uh, I always get all okay. my advice from ooze elf wizards. Well, I'm definitely going to give this a try on Magic Online this week just for fun then. Is there anything else on your mind that you think people should have on their radar as far as brews you've tried or things you've seen around that might have the power to break through? Looking at the other four that you put in the notes here, we got Elves, Hellraiser, Vat Reanimator, and Contaminator Scales. Um, the Hellraiser and Vat Reanimator decks, eh, we're going to, we'll forget about those. Those didn't go so well. Okay. Um, we did, That's we talked, a, we talked a little bit about Elves. Um, I, I think Tivar is somewhat powerful in that deck, but the curve, like you can't, like, so Tivar is powerful with Circle of Dreams Druid, but it's also directly not because it makes you play a lot more three drops and you're more reliant on your Llanowar Elves in those games where they push your elf and your hands full of threes. You just you, you, you can't win those games. So you need to build your deck yeah. a little bit leaner to play around Fatal Push and have more two drops. Um, and then Contaminator Scales is actually something I did play on at towards the end of the 24 hour stream, which. I think I maybe played it in like hour 20, so I probably played like absolute crap, but 
Um, that deck was somewhat powerful. I've actually seen Bloated Contaminator specifically pop up in some of the Mono Green Devotion decks as like the additional three drop of choice mm. over Lovestruck Beast. And um, specifically in scales, it was also very, very powerful. Just being able to like 4-4 four, four Trample proliferate on Hit Trigger is just a lot of stats and a lot of numbers. So I was pretty impressed with that. Awesome. All right. So we're running out of time here. As we usually do, we're not going to get to modern. Unfortunately, we may even cut any mention of modern out of the final edit. Of yeah, this. what about modern? There's no modern. We're a pioneer. But podcast. as a last, yeah, pioneer podcast. Now, as a last fun thing, can we all try to call a top four, four decks sure. that we think are going to be in the top four of this tournament? You can say two of a deck or whatever. I'm going to go first. Here's what I'm going to say. Okay, I'm going to call two Rakdos. Um, I'm going to call You came prepared, a... I see. No, I didn't come prepared. Um, I'm going to say, well, one blue-white control, two Rakdos, and somehow a mono-blue spirits. That's what's going to be the top four. <laughs> You're just hoping okay. for the last one? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, I'm going to play it somewhat safe. I'll say, like, a Rakdos midrange, a Lotus field, some, like, Azorius-based control deck... And then maybe like one rogue, like a enigmatic deck or like a weird gruel aggressive thing. Devin, is it, it's a time for me. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think? All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there, right, on a limb. Okay, one Rakdos midrange, one enigmatic fires, one gruel gruel vehicles, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna say one copy of Vanifar combo. Whoa! Wow! I'm going for three, <laughs> three for four, the same, and then you're going real rogue. I'm, I feel like I feel like Devin is just playing to the crowd here. I mean, that's he's fine. like, it's like let's let's give let's give Dave a little something to be happy with. After I mean, the recording if, stops if you're seventy five percent correct, then that's really good. And then you can be wrong yeah. about the Vanifar combo. Yeah, I love it though. Okay. Yeah, I mean, fun times talking about Pioneer. I'm really, I'm honestly pretty excited to see what happens with the format. This is the first time we've seen it on this biggest stage i mean i know people came prepared they prepared with their teams for the regional championships and things like that but the pro tour we do know is on a different level we have different level of attention being paid to it we have new cards we have new strategies that are potentials with those cards so i'm gonna have my eyes on the screen as much as possible devin for people to have their eyes on your screen that you are featured on as much as possible where when are you streaming where can people find you what type of content are you making all that good stuff so with the new schedule the full-time schedule i'm trying to stick towards monday through thursday uh 2 to 9 p.m eastern and then friday 12 to 5 p.m eastern and then saturday uh 11 a.m start time till whenever i decide to o2 drop from all the challenges and you can find me at twitch.tv slash doomwake youtube.com slash doomwake twitter doomwake and the doomwake is d zero zero m w a k e Awesome. Very glad to have you on for your first episode. I'm sure we'll have you back on uh, in the yeah. future. We appreciate you spending your time. If you'll with have us. us. Yes. Appreciate you spending two and hours with us. If you have us. me. <laughs> I mean, we, I knew this one was going to be long, um, and it ended up being our longest one in a while. So appreciate you being on and sticking with us. But that does wrap this week's show up. Uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the pod. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts. Think about leaving us a rating or review. Helps people 
find us, helps us feel good about ourselves there. If you want to submit a question to us, reach out to us, tweet us at the dive down or email the dive down at gmail.com. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down or check out our store at the dive down.com slash store. Of course, mana traders, Sign up for them using promo code THEDIVEDOWN10, all one word, for 10% off your first two months of running Magic Online. And then, of course, our relationship with Barrister and Man, use code THEDIVEDOWN23 for 15% off your first order there. And Nerd Rage Gaming, you can save 8% on your order with code DIVE8. As always, thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and watch Doomwake Stream!